Aloha and welcome to Native Stories. Native Stories exists to share the voices of those connected to the land. This story features cultural historian Adam Keave Manlo Camp on the topic of Queen Liliuuo Kalani's five homes and the significant events that occurred at each of these locations throughout her lifetime. In regards to the Queen, you know, she was born roughly where Queen's Hospital is today. Mm-hmm. And she was adopted out to Kunia and Paki. Now they had a residence. Uh, that residence was called Haleakala, but it was also called um, Aikupika, which means Egypt. Uh, it was so named because, so the building was made out of um, coral and it was painted kind of a pinkish color. But the roof of the building itself was a pyramid shape, hence the name Egypt oh. for the name. What? So sorry. So she lived with her Hanai Hanai family family over there, including uh, Bernice Boahi Bishop. All, all in one one large compound. So that house Haleakala, she lived there for many years, and actually that was one of the more happier homes that she lived in. That house was built in the 1850s by Paki, her adopted father, and. That house was eventually inherited by Princess Pawahi, Bernice Pawahi Bishop. The Queen, of course, already had gotten married by that time and was living at Washington Place, front of the capital, in front of the capital. on Baritania Street, with her husband, Prince Consort John Owen, John Owen Dominus. Now, uh, with Washington Place, so Washington Place was one of the first uh, prefabricated houses in Hawaii. Every part of Washington Place was already made in New England, Boston, and shipped here and then assembled here. So even the glasses, everything in that house was also brought in from New England. Uh, John Dominus, his father's side was American. His mother's side was more of old American, meaning that the, there was a lineage that went all the way back before you know, uh, the United States was an independent country. So that family goes way, way back. But John Dominus's father's side, John Dominus's father was actually an immigrant who was naturalized as a U.S. citizen. Then he gets lost at sea somewhere in Micronesia and leaves his widow, Mary Dominus, and John Dominus, Washington Place. Now, when the queen moved into Washington Place, she didn't stay in the same bedroom as her husband. John Dominus and his mother, Mary, stayed upstairs. The queen stayed in the back. Back house. The back, back house. Back room, whatever it is. Yeah, because um, there were several buildings besides Washington Place. Mm. Then later on, John Dominus and Mary Dominus moved downstairs because they rented up the, the second story to the American Council. But the queen stayed in the back. I mean, she was at the time not yet a princess, but she was a lady of very high rank. Mm-hmm. But Mary Dominus was, quite frankly, racist. She didn't really like brown people, even though her daughter-in-law was Hawaiian and of very high lineage. It was never really a good match. And Mary Dominus, for most of um, the Queen's marriage, treated her very unsympathetically. And her husband? John Dominus. The Queen was very fond of John Dominus, but John Dominus was her second choice. Uh, She was, in fact, um, the Queen... uh, Well, the Queen at this time was named um, Lydia Paki. So Lydia Paki 
was actually engaged to William Charles Luna Lilo for two years. And that's something a lot of people overlook. And then Luna Lilo um, broke off the engagement with no reason. So her, the queen's first boyfriend, her first love was actually William Charles Luna Lilo. He was in love with an American actress. And he also fooled around with Victoria Kamamalu, who was the sister to Kamimia the fourth and the fifth. He was womanizing a lot, <laughs> a lot. But yeah, at one time he had thought to marry this American actress from San Francisco, actress slash opera singer, but that didn't work out. Mm. But he appointed her brother as his private secretary. Well, that's another story. And that, but that story is one of the scandals that rocked the royal family at that time because King Luna Lilo's reign was very tumultuous, very scandal-ridden for the Hawaiian ali'i of the time. So at the opposite end of that, you have Lydia Paki, or she was then called Lady Lydia Paki. So Lydia, Lady Lydia Paki was educated at the Royal School, which is over here by the state capital. Um, she lived at um, Kaliakala, the, the pink house, the Egypt, Egyptian house, two blocks that way. And she had a lot of fond memories, you know, with her her adopted mother, Kunia. She was actually closer to her adopted mother than her biological mother. And Kunia really took um, Lydia under her wing. She taught Lydia chanting. She taught Lydia music. She taught Lydia the Bible. She taught Lydia everything about law, everything. Kunia. Uh, because you must also remember that at this time, a lot of these high chiefs who were involved in the government were females. And Kunia was a member of the House of Nobles. So she was quite powerful in her own right. Her husband was private secretary to Kamehameha III and was known for his love of military uniforms and cigars. Whereas Kunia was considered to be one of the powers behind the throne because of her position with the House of Nobles, but also because of her friendship with Queen Kalama. Queen Kalama was... The wife of uh, Kamehameha III. Kauikeoli. Okay. Kauikeoli, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So the queen moves out of her happy childhood home to Washington Place with his mother-in-law that doesn't like her. And the queen spends a lot of time somewhere else. As much as she can, she tries to go to her estate at um, Hawokalani and Hamo Hamo and Waikiki, which today is near the Sheraton. <laughs> so, um, Hawokalani, of course, is more remembered for the song that she wrote. But it was a song, uh, the estate itself, she, was, she inherited from her father, her biological father. Okay. Um, next to Hawokalani was another estate called Kialohilani. But that was with the Queen's... Um... Where is Paukalani? Today it's near the Sheridan. Oh, Hamahamo is... The area... The area... around the Sheridan. Paukalani was the you actual don't... building name or a state name or whatever. Yes, the state name. Because Hawaiians name houses, okay. cars, 
carriages, kahili, feather cloaks, everything is named in Hawaiian. So, yeah, so next to Paukulani, of course, was um, Kelohilani. That was where the retainers lived. So, but um, Paukalani was rather small. For, it was nice, though. I mean, you know, there was a fish pond nearby. And then also, it was uh, an example of what they call transitional architecture. So it had a concrete foundation. And then it had a wooden frame. But then it, the roof was pili grass. And that was popular during that time, that transitional architecture, where it's a mix of this Western and Hawaiian. So whenever the queen could, she tried to get to Waikiki because yeah, her home life was just so awful. Yeah, the, the whole area um, from what's called the Queen's Beach up until the Rusi, that's Hamohamu. Uh, Waikiki is the, the Ahupua'a itself. But Hamohamu is that particular section. And with the development of Waikiki, we lost Hamohamo. And Hamohamo was famous for its fish ponds. It's kind of marshy, actually. Um, and above Hamohamo, where the Alawai Canal is, there was all taro fields. Malka of the Alawai. Yes, Malka of the Alawai. Was taro fields, and Makai was fish ponds? Yes. So all the springs came up over there? Yes. It was beautiful before. So the queen used to escape to Waikiki as much as she could because of her home life. Now, after she became princess, um, well, in 1874, her brother was elected king. And immediately after his election, he named his entire family as prince and princesses. Oh, so um, just a quick um, background on their lineage. Yeah, can you? So their family, um, when the king was elected, he actually wanted the dynastic name to be Kiawe Mauhili because that's where that's the line that they come from. Um, they're not related to the Kamehamehas by blood, other than being maybe distant cousins, like everyone else. Um, but his family comes from one of the twins, Kamanava, who is depicted in the Hawaiian coat of arms. With the Kahili. With the Kahili. Yeah. So that's his lineage. He then comes from one of the twins that defended. Kamanava, so the twins were the uncles of, uh, or uncles of Kamehameha through Kahikili? Oh. If you consider uh, Kamehameha the first's real father yeah. to be Kahikili the second, yeah. then that would be his uncles. If you consider, right. But if you consider <laughs> it from the official genealogy, mm -hmm. that would be his third cousins. Third cousins, okay. And through that line is, yeah. From the Kalakaua line. So his family were always supporters of the Kamehameha dynasty. And... Um, Aikanaka. Aikanaka <laughs> yeah, was hung over there. He attempted to poison his wife. His wife was 
King Kalakaua's grandmother, Aikanaka was King Kalakaua's grandfather. And in a show of justice, he was hung for attempted murder and for adultery. And he was given a public execution that was attended by the children of the chief's children's school. So that way they could be reminded that chiefs no longer had privileges under the law. So the five-year-old Lydia and the, I think, eight years old at the time, uh, David Kalakoa, saw their grandfather being hung. That left a big impact on the young David Kalakoa, for example. I don't know how much of an impact that had on young Lydia because she never writes about it at all. And sometimes the silence speaks more volumes than the actual written word. It's actually from that moment that King Kala, well, the future King Kalakaua would see the hypocrisy of the missionaries. Getting back to the now Princess Liliuokalani. So now she's a princess and she has royal duties. And she knows that there's this awkward position that she has within her own household at Washington Place. Because when her mother-in-law doesn't, still doesn't like her, even though she's a princess, two, the American flag flies over Washington Place. Because for Mary Dominus, John Dominus's um, mother, she's still American. Yeah. So you have the heir to the Hawaiian throne. One of the, at this time, she was second in line. Her brother uh, was first in line. But you have one of the heirs to the Hawaiian throne living in a house that flies the American flag. Who was uh, Mo'i at this time? Kalakaua was just elected king. Okay. So Kalakaua was elected king. Um, he names his brother, Lileo Hoku II, as his heir. Lileo Hoku later dies in 1877. So he names his sister, uh, Lydia Paki, as Liliuokalani. Now, Liliuokalani, she didn't like her name. Why? And what does it mean? One of her names... Um, in her middle name is Liliu. And for most of her life, she went by the Hawaiian name Kamakaeha. Kamakaeha comes from the fact that when she was born, Prime Minister Kinau, Elizabeth Kinau, had inflamed eyes. So Kamakaeha means the painful eyes. Liliu means the smarting, painful eyes. So she never went by Liliu at this time. She was Kamakaeha, Lady Lydia Kamakaeha Paki. Even Dominus, she didn't use her married name. Legal documents at that time, they used her married name, but her herself, she never signed her name as Dominus. She still kept that kind of fire of independence. And we don't really think of the queen as like that. We think of her as this really soft, grandmotherly figure. But she was very fierce during this time. So uh, when she's named princess in 1874, there's talk about what her name should be. Her brother decides to pick Liliu, for reasons we don't know, and added Okalani, of the heavens. So the smarting of the heavens. And when the queen found out about that, she was at Washington Place, that she had just been named that. And her first reaction was, what the heck does that mean? She didn't like it at all. Uh, she would have wanted a much more, you know, traditional name going back to her own lineage. But Kalaokawa chose that name. And Hawaiians would later on start calling her Loloku Lani. So Loloku. So not to be confused, Lolo, and then there's Lolo. Uh, Lolo means not so bright. Whereas Lolo and Loloku uh, refer to intelligence. So Hawaiians were calling 
Hawaiians themselves didn't even like the name, Nili Ukulani. Um, but they were calling her Loloku Lani. Um, and sometimes they're calling her Aimoku, um, which meant, by this time it sort of meant princess, but it also meant ruler. So you have to juxtapose, they were already calling her the ruler, even though her husband, her brother was the king. But there was no tension between those two. Right. But the fact is that a lot of Hawaiians loved uh, Lili Ukulani already, because she had established a reputation for herself as someone who loved her people. Kalakaua had a good reputation too as a nationalist. But the election of 1874 uh, between him and Queen Emma, because uh, remember Kalakaua ran twice. Yeah. 1872, he ran against uh, against Luna Lilo. He lost. Then Luna Lilo dies. Uh, and then his deathbed, he says, the crown was given to me by the people. I return it to the people. And he refuses to name a successor. So there was another election. This time, King Kalakaua won. But the price of that victory was the utter division of the Hawaiian community between his supporters and Queen Emma's supporters. And Queen Emma, Emma never conceded. So Queen Emma, Queen Emma and Princess Bernice Boahi Bishop, adopted sister of Lili Oklani, uh, Princess Like Like, the real sister of Lili Oklani. They were all very close friends. Yeah. So this election also caused this huge rift in those friendships as well. And Lili U, now that she, by 1877, she was now the heir to the Hawaiian throne. She was also dealing with those tensions still from the election because mm. people haven't moved past. I mean, like, for example, my great-great-grandfather uh, was George Washington Filippo, who was pastor at Kamakapili Church during this time period. And he was a 20-year veteran of the legislature for Northern uh, Big Island. Um, he was an avid supporter of Queen Emma, but one of the members of his congregation was Princess Iwakulani, <laughs> and she was the organist for Kamakamili oh. Church, as well as the head of the fundraising committee for Kamakamili Church. Wow, yeah. So you have this really sometimes awkward, you know, relationships. Yeah. But my great-great-grandfather was very much pro Oklani and always said that out of her, the whole family, she was always the smartest one. So there's another house in Kapalama called Mauna Kamala, which was owned by Princess Ruth. Princess Ruth Ke'eli Kolani. Uh, that was actually her main Oahu residence until she built Halekaua, which was Keoa, excuse me, where Central Intermediate is today. But her house, uh, Mauna Kamala, was located by uh, Princess Kaiolani Elementary School in Kapalama. And that was a very beautiful estate, actually. That estate is where Queen Lili Oklani's brother, Prince... Lilio Hoku II, that's where he was raised, which is in Kapalama. Okay. And whenever uh, any member of the new royal family had to go visit Princess Ruth, Keilikolani, they would go to that estate. Next to that estate was a property called Mu'olaulani. Um, Mu'olaulani. So Mu'olaulani is actually one of the names of Princess Ruth. The name, that name, however, was given to that place by Princess Lily Oklani to show her affection for Princess Ruth. She bought an estate next to Princess Ruth's estate and she built a house and she named the house Mu'olaulani. So Mu'olaulani uh, means uh, the branching of buds of the heaven, of the heavens. Mu'o okay. means budding. 
Lao, Mini, or Multitude, Lani. And this actually refers to the fact that um, Princess Ruth had two fathers. So yeah, she was a Po'olua child. It's the term that they used. When a high-ranking chiefess had multiple husbands, which was usually the case, and um, usually the highest-ranking husband would claim any child as his own, so that was tradition. But in that particular case, because Princess Ruth's mother had two husbands, even though that was technically illegal, uh, both of her husbands claimed the child as their own, and they agreed upon that. So uh, as Princess Ruth was growing up, she had two fathers, and that was perfectly normal in traditional Hawaiian society. So Mu'ulaulani uh, was an estate that the queen owned, that she had bought with her own money after she became heir apparent, because she felt that she needed a place of her own that was closer to town that she could entertain because of that awkward situation that she's having with her mother-in-law. She buys the estate and she builds a house. Uh, the house is completed by 1884, but there's major delays into 1885. Now, if you look at like websites such as Huapala and even place names of Hawaii, you'll find that they claim that the main house was located at um, where the Queen Liliuokalani's Children's Center is in Kapalama, but that's actually incorrect. It was actually located at the gas station. There's a gas station by the Zambonga Theater and by Kamakapili Church. Hmm. That actually is the location where the Queen Lilukrani's Children's Center is. That was actually one of the, the servant houses. Uh, one has to remember that when we're talking about these Hawaiian royal estates, these estates included the main house, then included a secondary house where they actually lived. The main house was mainly for entertaining, yeah, entertaining people, formal living. But then they had their own house usually in the back where they actually lived. And then there were several other houses for storage as well as um, for the servants. Uh, servants of families of, royal, of royalty always had their own homes that was provided for. So in these estates, there were always serving homes. Once you were employed as a what they call it out, oho, a servant or a retainer. There was employment for life. You're guaranteed a home, your children would be educated, and everything would be provided for you. Salary, well, in this case, salaries, but in the old ancient times, oho were given um, mats, food, and everything else that they needed for their own needs. To take care of themselves. Yes, and their children could also become oho. But oho were also usually from Kaukauali'i or from mixed marriages. So Kaukauali'i were lower class of chiefs from oh. usually middle ranking um, mothers and lower ranking fathers. But the Kaukauali'i formed the main support for the I and later the third in terms They're of military and later for the bureaucracy. It's a totally different institution from like slavery in the U.S. So these were chiefs in their own right, but they were lower ranking chiefs. They could marry who they wanted, their needs were provided for, etc. They had basically a similar living 
to their masters, their masters, their lords. It wasn't like the plantations in the U.S. where the lifestyle of a slave and his master were totally different. Okay. And if you didn't like the chief that you were serving, you were free to seek employment somewhere else. A lot of these Oho, they moved around from different um, households, especially when one chief passes away. But normally that's how it went. And usually the most senior member of a ruling family would end up with the most Oho. We're getting back to Mu'olaulani. So that was the first house that was really the queen's house. She influenced the design, she picked the colors, she did everything. So it was like an L-shaped design. It was originally painted white, but then the queen later painted it a yellowish color. From 1885 up until the coup of 1893, that was the house that she did most of her entertaining when she was in town. It was in that Washington place because again, the mother-in-law issue. And when the princess at this time had her birthdays, etc., she celebrated it over there. And it was a big house. It was 100 feet in its longest section. And the back house was about three, And it was um, two stories with a basement. Yeah, and that was the house that was her favorite house until she ended up having to sell it. Uh, when Robert Wilcox came back from Italy with his new wife, the Marquesa, they had nowhere to stay, and the queen invited them to stay with her and Ulaulani. So they stayed, the Wilcox family stayed upstairs in the- Can we go back to who Wilcox is? So Robert Wilcox was Papa Hawley. He was actually the son of a school teacher and um, his family had connections, and when he was a teenager, he was sent to Turin, Italy, for military schooling in engineering. This was part of the King Kalakaua's larger program of sending Hawaiian youth abroad. So there was a total of, I think it was 18 Hawaiian youth that was eventually sent abroad. And these were from mostly middle-class Hawaiian or part Hawaiian families. A majority of them came from the neighbor islands not from Oahu. Some of that was political because of the fact that King Kalakaua's base of support traditionally came from the neighbor islands. And he was very, very popular on Maui and on the big island. And his wife, Queen Kapi'ilani, of course, she was by her own right a princess from the ruling house of Kauai. Her great-grandfather was Kamuali'i. People of Kauai would support her because right. <laughs> that's their ali'i. But yeah, with um, Wilcox, so he goes to Italy studies uh, engineering, civil engineering. He comes back mainly very pissed off because he wanted further schooling, but what had happened was there was a lot of political instability, 1886, 1887. Then 1887, you have the Bayonet Constitution. So these Hawaiian youth abroad were stuck because the new cabinet that was largely led by Lauren Thurston, who was picked by the legislature rather than by the king, decided to end the program. And it's also important to know that the legislature by this time, from the time that the first Hawaiian national legislature opened, 1844, up until 1887, it was dominated by Native Hawaiians and it was dominated uh, largely by Native Hawaiian Christian converts. 
which explains some of the laws like about hula and alcohol and stuff like that. There's this really sharp Christian imprint on the legal system because of the legislature and its makeup. The 1887 Constitution, uh, better known as the Bayonet Constitution, was imposed by the king by a right-wing militia group that had some ties with the American government or President Harrison of the U.S. Unofficially, it had ties, but officially, of course, it had no ties. So they imposed this Bayonet Constitution, which stripped the king of much of his power. It also left Asians unable to vote, even though they were citizens. And it also left about two-thirds of Native Hawaiians um, without a say in their own government because they were no longer allowed to vote or to hold political office because of the property qualifications that was imposed. So, yeah, um, Robert Wilcox returns with his wife. They have nowhere to stay. So they stay at the Queen's estate in Kapalama, Mu'olaulani, upstairs. The Queen herself, at this time, also had to come back home to home. Hawaii. Because in 1887, while the Bayonet Constitution was, while this coup was taking place, Queen Kapi'olani, King Kalaka was wife, consort, and then Crown Princess Lili Uoklani, was in London, attending Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee. They were actually supposed to be going to France after the Jubilee, as well as to uh, Italy, Germany, and Russia, as part of uh, bringing in more ties between Hawaii and the European powers, because personal diplomacy was extremely important, but it still is. So they had to cut their trip short. Princess Lili Uklani comes back the Bayonet Constitution is signed, and she's horrified by it. And she actually tells her brother that for herself, she would have preferred death than to have to sign that Constitution. I mean, she was a very gutsy woman, you know. Yeah. She, I believe her too, she would have. Kalakoa explained these men who had surrounded the palace with guns were also taking over Ainahau. Um, Princess Kaiolani's history in Waikiki, in Hamohamo. In Hamo. King Kalakaua basically tells his sister that he signed it in order to protect the lives of the other members of the royal family. He honestly, at the time, didn't believe that the Supreme Court would allow this to happen, even though one of the members of the Supreme Court, Albert Judd, was a part of the coup. Kalakaua was a self-trained lawyer and like many Hawaiians today, he had faith in the legal system. The legal system always doesn't work for Hawaii. So he felt it was just going to be a temporary thing, that eventually the case would, there would be a case that would be brought up and things would go back to the previous constitution. Two years goes by, and during those two years, there are several cases that are brought up to the Supreme Court. Some of them have to do indirectly with the legality of the 1887 constitution. The Supreme Court, in their infinite wisdom, in three cases, rules that the 1887 Constitution was the legal constitution of the Hawaiian Kingdom. And this just pisses off a lot of Hawaiians because they too were expecting that the Supreme Court would do something about what had happened. But no, the Supreme Court basically says that under the previous constitution, there's an article in the constitution um, that states that the kingdom is belongs to the king. Therefore, he can proclaim a new constitution at his will. But that's not the understanding that most Hawaiians had. And that's not even the understanding that King Kalakaua had. But the Supreme Court made this leap of jurisprudence and ruled in favor of the 1887 constitution. Uh, it was the Alo case. Anyway, um, Queen, uh, Princess Lili Uklani makes a tour to Kauai. She goes around Kauai, uh, meets with the people, 
she comes, according to her own accounts, she comes back and she makes a visit to Mu'olani. Um, uh, and she's greeted at the door by Robert Milka. And he tells her, I'm going to do something about the constitution. I'm going to take back the powers to the king. And he explains to her that he's plotting, he's been plotting a coup at the house while she was gone. And she's just like, yeah, I think you need to move. <laughs> In her account, she claimed that she didn't know that they were plotting coups at her house. Because at this time, she was, um, Mary Dominus had just passed away. Oh. Washington Place, the white flag was up, everything was good. Except for John Dominus's illegitimate children. But that's another story. Yeah, so she's now at Washington Place by 1887. So she's not really checking up on what's going on in Kapalamba. So remember the house I told you about, uh, Hale Kamala, Princess Ruth's estate in Kapalama, which is next to her house. Right. That house is bought by Joseph Navahi, and he renames it Navahi Place. He too is plotting to overthrow the 1987 constitution. So you have this whole neighborhood in Kapalama that's basically plotting to overthrow the constitution. <laughs> But Wilcox and uh, Navahi don't get along. So there's two factions, literally on um, estates next to each other, plotting to overthrow In the constitution. Two separate coups, unbeknown to each other. Okay. Or they probably knew about each other's, but the thing was that Wilcox at this time favored um, restoring the king power and stuff like that. Navahi was more of a democratic socialist. He tinkered with the idea of a republic. He wanted, he felt that the royal family, the reforms of King Kalakaua and the reforms of Kamehameha V before him were going too slow. Hawaiians were losing their lands. These Haoli's were coming in and they're taking over the country. Navahi wanted uh, radical land reform. Whereas Wilcox was so focused on the empowering the king and the king would do everything. So there was a, a deep uh, political ideological difference between those two. They didn't ever get along very much. Kapo Lama is having all these rallies and meetings and stuff going on for these different factions of Hawaiians who want to take back power from what had happened in 1887. So Princess Liliuklani, she comes back to, to Oahu, she finds out that Wilcox has been planning coup, a coup in her home and she says pretty much like, you know that this is going to implicate me, right? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, this doesn't end well for me, you know? So Wilcox launches his coup, the Wilcox Rebellion in 1887, and they actually seize the palace where the king uh, is at Healani, the king's boathouse, two blocks that way. According to Wilcox, the king had agreed with Wilcox and he was going to stay at the palace and allow Wilcox's red-shirted Hawaiians Richard and Hawaiians with arms paid by Chinese merchants to take over the palace and they would do this whole thing where they would give him a new constitution to sign. But at the last minute, this is according to Wilcox, the king changes his mind and goes to the boathouse. And that same right wing militia, the Honolulu Rifles, that had imposed the 1887 constitution, came back and was able to repel uh, Wilcox's rebellion. So Wilcox is put on trial for treason. The Hawaiian legal system at the time was that major crimes were automatic jury trials. And if you're a native Hawaiian, you were judged by a native Hawaiian jury. If you were white, you were judged by a white jury. If you're Asian, etc., you're judged. Race really played a crucial part in the judicial 
system back in those days. The native Hawaiian jury cannot convict Bill Cox. Uh, the white business community says that they don't want to convict them because they're all, Hawaiians are secretly sympathetic with the Orange Friend 1887 Constitution. Bill Cox himself said that he wanted to overthrow the government, but they don't convict him. He's released. But during the trial, he, Wilcox makes a number of allegations. Allegations that would really upset Princess Liliuokalani. He claims that Princess Liliuokalani knew about this coup beforehand and that she was offered the throne in lieu of her brother. Princess Liliuokalani claims that she was never aware of this coup prior to the time she came back from Kauai and Wilcox came stumbling down the stairs talking about overthrowing the government. So it's a matter of what you believe in those terms. But the white business community says, you know, this woman, this Liliuokalani, she cannot be trusted. She's, she might be a secret nationalist. This is in the newspapers. Yes. And they slowly start to turn on her. She also has an American husband. And ironically, that American husband acts as a go-between with the American community and her. They think that, you know, even if she becomes queen, her husband's going to be there. He'll be able to mitigate his wife. They didn't know the marriage very well. Mm, the king at this time is just fatigued. He's just skinny. He's not eating well. He starts to get medical treatment in San Francisco. Dancing until 2 o'clock. Masonic meetings, history chats, etc. He passes away a month later, January 1891. The royal family didn't know. And they were preparing a ball for the king's arrival. Home. And Princess Lili Uklani and Queen Kapi Ilani were here at Washington Place, uh, here at Iolani Palace. And then the Chamberlain, um, Colonel Curtis Yokia, asked to speak with the princess and informs her that the USS Charleston has arrived. It's been sighted at the, the Diamond Head and the flags are in half mass. Princess Lili Uklani then has to tell her sister-in-law that her husband, her brother, is now in the long sleep. So they watched the funeral procession from the USS Charleston at the harbor to here on the second floor of balcony. And at that moment, Princess Lily Oklani is in effect queen. Now she is queen. She's staying at Washington Place still. However, Iolani Palace is now her official residence. And um, she didn't really sleep here. The one room of the palace that's very much the queen's is the blue room. Uh, that's the room that, the only room in the palace that she was able to redecorate in her taste. Uh, previous to that, during Kalaokawa's time, the blue room was also known, known as the Turkish room, where it had these Turkish Moroccan furniture, etc. Queen Liliuokalani brings furniture from one of the other houses of Kamimir III, this beautiful Louis XV furniture. She posters it in blue. She redoes that room because that's her room. And that's the room that she would take her oath as queen after her brother's funeral. She was able to delay the oath taking of the 1887 constitution to after her, her brother's passage. According to Curtis Iokia, it was right after the burial of the king. According to Queen Lilukulani, the oath taking took place nine days after the burial of her brother. In any case, the reason why that discrepancy is important is because in the queen's account, she was still speaking with lawyers about whether or not she could do what Kamehameha V did. When Kamehameha V came to the throne, he refused to take an oath to the existing constitution. And eventually Kamehameha V proclaimed his own constitution, the 1864 constitution. 
So the queen was pondering on whether or not she would be able to pull that off. And basically her own husband says no. She takes her um, oath to the new constitution in the blue room. And the blue room would figure very prominently in the queen's reign. She's using now the palace. Um, when she, in happier days, she was using Mu'ulaulani, um, the Kapolama estate, for meetings with the Liliuokalani Education Society. She's using it for the, the Ku'ono'ono'o Society. And she's using it for, for other society meetings, as well as formal events, birthdays, and stuff like that. The one that I had just mentioned, the Ku'ono'ono'o Society, was actually homesteaders. A lot of people forget that the homesteading programs actually originated during King Kalakau's reign. And they had their own association. And Princess Lili Uklani was the patron. So, yeah, the homestead, the sovereign council of homesteaders and stuff like that, actually goes back much further if they bothered to read their history books. Because the first homesteading began 1876. The first homesteading was actually in Uwano. And then Pu'uwaina, Pa'oa, and what is now Papakolea. They use the term Hawaiians of, Ab of Aboriginal stock, meaning Native Hawaiians, as well as indigent or poor Asians, could apply for 99-year leases from the Crown, because those were uh, government and Crown lands, and they could use it for agricultural purposes or for residential purposes, with the stipulation that they had to make use of the land. Um, the first five years, were free, no rent. And rents were to be fixed on commutation rates, which was about a dollar a year. And there were no restrictions on... Oh yeah, and they couldn't lease it or rent it out to someone else. It had to be for them and their family only. So most of those lands yeah. were government lands, but some of it was crown. Crown lands were inalienable from the institution of the monarchy itself. So they could not be sold. They could be leased for 99 years. Government lands could be sold, but uh, funds raised from such sales had to go for education or government um, building works or infrastructural projects, as we'll call it today. Three people were heavily involved with those programs. One was Sanford Doe, another one was Joseph Navahi, and another one was George Washington Filippo great-grandfather. There were the ones in the legislature because Sanford Doe was originally a legislature who initiated those programs and King Kalakaua ran with it and he said it was a good thing. But the queen, the princess Liliuokalani, became the patron of their homestead associations. <laughs> the first homestead association. <laughs> so yeah, they were having those meetings there. So what happens is, so 1893, there's the coup that happens. Um, so remember the Haleakala, the Egypt house. So um, that's the childhood home of Lili Ukrani. After Princess Boahi Bishop passes away, it gets sold and becomes the Arlington Hotel. The Arlington Hotel becomes a military camp between uh, January 17, 1893 to February 1, 1893. The USS Boston, people think that, you know, the USS Boston just, you know, marched through the streets and I yield the throne. No. One of the reasons why Hawaiians didn't instantly rebel against what was going on was because the USS Boston's troops stayed in Honolulu. Literally, they didn't go back to their ships. They were patrolling Honolulu streets at the Queen's Less Isle than a block home. away. Yes, right and they're doing military maneuvers at 
uh, Kauai Ha'o Church. There was a state of martial law, but even after the martial law proclamation had ended, it was still basically martial law because American troops were still on the streets. And the Arlington Hotel, I mean, could you just imagine that though? Your childhood home, like your entire country, is now occupied by yeah. American troops. But this also presents another situation for the Queen. The Queen is placed under house arrest at Washington Place. Because by this time, the royal household consisted of, you know, about 30 uh, retainers, plus 125 royal household guards, plus the Royal Hawaiian Band. They all lost their positions within the government because this was a new regime. Uh, the queen starts to sell off her, her estates. Mu'ulaulani uh, is sold off. The house that she built is sold off. Uh, it's sold off so that way she could help fund these people who have just lost their jobs and to pay for delegations of Hawaiians to go to Washington, D.C. to protest. A lot of people don't realize that Paul Newman and others who had gone to Washington, D.C., the queen was privately having to finance them because she no longer had a government position either. She had no salary. They had deposed her. And she sells off her neighbor Aiden land holdings that she inherited from her father and her brother. She sells off as much as she can except for Washington Place and Paukulabi. She cannot give up those two. Because one, that's John Dominus is, and that Hamohamo is her, um, Paukulani is her retreat, her last retreat. So the queen is at Washington Place. She gardens. Uh, her and her Japanese gardener garden a lot. That's the only way she can take off the stress from what she's going through. She also has a Chinese cook. The queen likes Chinese food. Her husband, John Owen Dominus, had passed away two years earlier almost. Did he have a job? Yes, governor of Oahu and governor of Maui. So that was his positions. So he passes away 1892, almost two years prior to the, the coup. On her first anniversary of her ascending the throne, the white business community gives the queen a cool wood piano that's still at Washington Place. And Charles Reed Bishop, who Hawaiians still celebrate despite the fact he was racist and sexist, tells the tells his his in effect his sister-in-law, because Bernice Bahi Bishop is the adopted sister of Queen Ilokrani. He tells her that it's better for her to compose, to play music, and let others govern. Because after all, what does a woman really know about governing? And you'll be happier that way. Leave the men to governing. Can I ask you, where does this come from? The Queen's autobiography. The Queen records it. And in her autobiography, does she does it t say how she felt about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> but one would imagine. Yeah. yeah. One of the things about the Queen that I think speaks to a lot of Hawaiians is that with our history, you cannot help but feel angry at times. But the Queen was always made to feel because of her position as a member of the royal family, then as queen, and then as later in life as the remnant of the Hawaiian kingdom, she was always made to feel like she had to put on this role as that symbol of all things good about Hawaiians, Hawaiian culture, Hawaiian, being Hawaiian. And still is pretty much the role that we've assigned her. Um, this grandmotherly figure, you know, spirit of aloha and all of that but the queen was a person and she was very witty sarcastic at times if you knew her well smoked cigars yeah cigars at that time um were actually prescribed by doctors to help the so-called um hysterical women my 
great-great-grandmother was one of the last ladies in waiting for the queen. She was a kinimaka, supporters of her brother. They married into the family of George Filippo, who were supporters of Queen Emma's. Uh. Suddenly things were okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, the queen, she loved to just go out in the garden. If she wasn't gardening, she would be sitting down smoking or playing her ukulele or guitar. She was very accomplished with that. And she also used to like to have people play the piano. She used the piano for her compositions. Unlike her, the rest of her family, she could actually compose using uh, Western musical notations. Kinkalakawa, Leleohoku, Like Like, they were all accomplished. Um, Posers, but they only wrote the lyrics. They didn't actually write the music. Right. So Notes. a lot of their songs, we sometimes don't know the melodies. The Queen wrote over 163 pieces. We know the melodies for the most part because she she did it. So we think Great. of her as like this very stoic figure, but she had this other side to her. And um, she could quote Shakespeare just off the top of her head. In her earlier years, she tried to compose opera in Hawaii. She also, her and uh, Luna Lilo had this competition that went on for some years where they would translate works of Shakespeare into Hawaiian. Just for, you know, fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the era of um, no Facebook and no TV and yeah. stuff like that. They had a lot of time to do <laughs> The queen also knew how to shoot a gun because her husband had this, you know, uh, large, kind of large gun and antique gun collection. It was kept for the most part in the basement. Why didn't they ever have kids? The queen actually had gotten pregnant back in 1850-something, but it was a stillborn. And after that, she just couldn't conceive. Victorian medical practices were really horrible. A lot of the, the these elite women did have children, but they either would pass away so young, or I mean, like diseases too. Princess Bernice Puaki had one child that passed away. Queen Kalama, the consort of King Kamehameha III, had seven children. They all passed away before the age of two. John Dominus had an illegitimate son oh. called John Aimoku Dominus. It was well known. And that son was from one of Queen Lil Oklani's ladies-in-waiting. And the last person apparently to know about this affair was the queen herself. And what had happened was eventually the queen adopted him. After the queen had her miscarriage, not her miscarriage, her stillborn, she also adopted another child, um, Lydia Aholo. So Lydia Aholo was from Luther Aholo. There was what's called the Magnificent Three, Joseph Navahi, George Palipo, and um, Luther Aholo. These three were all pastors. Joseph Navahi wasn't a pastor, but he was a self-trained lawyer. But these three were considered to be the most eloquent and smartest of the Hawaiian legislature. And when they didn't like something to be passed, they used to make deals with each other where they would filibuster, meaning they would speak endlessly for hours and hours and hours until the legislature gave in. Yeah. They also used to sometimes read each other's speeches. For example, if one was sick that day, another one would take up the speech. 
that was yeah. how close they were. So George Filippo and Navahi in particular were staunchly opposed to the reciprocity treaty with the United States. Queen Liluplani herself was actually opposed, but she couldn't make it publicly known because of her brother's position as king. She didn't want to undermine him. She was very careful about that, but at the same time, her opinions were kind of well known. Joseph Navahi believed that the reciprocity treaty began the process of annexation to the United States. George Filippo felt that the reciprocity treaty would, um, among other things, weaken the position of the crown because it would in effect make the crown and the whole Hawaiian kingdom a protectorate of the United States. These people, Luther, George and um, Joseph were staunchly also nationalistic. And ironically, Joseph and George were pro-Queen Emma. Luther was pro-Kalakoa. Those were the legislatures that voted against the king in the election. But when Queen Emma had passed away, uh, 1883, they fell in line. The queen is at Washington Place in 1885. She's not allowed to know about news. She's not allowed access to newspapers when she's under house arrest. So from 1893 to 1885, she kind of has an idea of what's going on. She hears things. The gardeners also tell her things, what's going on. But she has no confirmation of that. And people sometimes still come to, are allowed to visit, but they're monitored by the police. Her letters are censored, even letters to her niece, Kaiolani, who's at this time in England. Princess Kaiolani was supposed to have returned February 1893, but then she basically got stuck in England because of the new government here. Uh, she was warned that the, govern the government here, the provisional government had told Princess Kaiolani that they would not be responsible for her safety should she return. So Princess Kaiolani decides to stay in England and that drags on for another five years. She was supposed to have come home in 1893 in the coup. So January 1895, Queen Liluklani is arrested from her home, Washington Place. Uh, the police ransack the residence. They claim that they found guns in her garden. One version I heard is that the gardener himself, who's Japanese, was a royalist and he had hid the, the guns himself. We didn't inform the Queen. So it's Iolani Palace or Washington Place? Washington Place. Washington Place. Yeah, it's in the back, actually. Another version is that someone else hid the guns. The Queen's version is what guns? Because, yeah, her husband collected guns. So what guns are you talking about? I mean, those guns that the husband collected don't even fire. So they bring her here through this gate and they bring her to the back of the palace, not the front. And while she's in prison here, they ransack Washington Place, take her private papers. And there's two sets of documents that the queen always fought about and she always wrote about. One were a set of petitions signed by approximately 11,000 voters. This is before. That was received by the queen uh, during the first year of her reign, calling for the abrogation of the 1887 constitution. So even voters of the 1887 constitution wanted get rid of the 1887 constitution. So she kept those petitions when she left here. And um, another set were her diaries. And those two documents were never returned to the queen for the rest of her life. She's here at Iolani Palace. She's taking up the steps. She's taking up the stairs to the second floor. By this time, the provisional government has began, begun the process of auctioning off the palace furniture. On the second floor landing, at the Olani Palace, she sees the portrait 
that she had commissioned of herself by William Cogswell, who's the painter to American presidents. And the portrait is at the Blue Room right now, at the Olympic Palace. The police escorts look at the portrait, then they look at the queen, who's all dressed in black, because she's still in mourning for her husband. And they begin to cry. They knew what they were doing was wrong. The queen tells them, take me to where you need to take me. And they take her to the corner room of Yolani Palace. And um, two weeks later, she is made to sign an abdication document. The abdication document that she signed was signed because they had threatened, at first, the provisional government had threatened her life. And the queen called their bluff. She said to the, um, the provisional government, go ahead, make me a martyr. So they then give the queen a list of about 13 names. Her name was included. Robert Wilcox's name was included. Her two nephews, well, actually, they were the nephews of Queen Kapiolani, but they were legally adopted by her brother, King Kalakaua. So those were her legal nephews, though not biologically. And they included Joseph Navahi. They included all these prominent Hawaiians. And she's told that if she does not abdicate her throne, those men would be executed. What the queen was then made aware of was that, which she didn't know before, because again, she was under house arrest, that they began arresting potential coup leaders in December of 1894. Joseph Navahi was arrested right before Christmas. And the rebellion, the, the nationalist rebellion, was forced to start early because so many of the leaders were being arrested so quickly. The uprising took place January 11th. The queen was arrested five days, four days later. And while she was arrested, there was still fighting going on. Uh, the uprising of 1895 wasn't like this, like, you know, a couple of days. Officially, it lasted for about a week. Unofficially, it lasted for about three weeks. The rebellion, the, the rebellion, the nationalist uprising of 1895 fails. They fell for a variety of reasons. One, that the Republic had spies. They had this uh, Bureau of Public Information. The Bureau of Public Information was censorship board which censored Hawaiian language newspapers, letters, correspondences, journalists. But it also had a wing of mostly Hawaiians who spied on other Hawaiians who were sympathetic to the Queen. So they were able to get information about the proposed um, nationalist uprising. These are mostly Hawaiian spies spying on other Hawaiians. They're spying for a government that was basically based upon the Boer republics of South Africa. They openly, the Republic of Hawaii openly called for the separation of races. They openly called for the sterilization of the poor. They openly called for the nationalization of, um, of certain lands belonging to families who were loyalists to the queen. They had seized the crown lands for themselves and were selling it off. They were auctioning off the palace furniture, but Hawaiians still worked with the government. Is there any documentation to who they were and like... Not to who the they were, they but got. to their existence, yes. Oh, the archives. Uh, it's in the Minister of Interior files. For $35 a month, they sold away their birthright. So um, the queen finally abdicates. Two weeks later, she's brought to the throne room where she's tried for misprison of treason. And during the trial, they call her 
From the moment that the queen is arrested until her trial, she's not addressed by her name. Which name? In her abdication, she was forced to sign her name as Lily Oklani Dominus. Remember how I said that she never signed her name as Dominus in the... Any other documents. Yeah. Right. There was only one. And she was forced to sign it that way. And in her autobiography, she writes, There is no legal personality named Lily Oklani Dominus. When she is in prison, she is simply known as the prisoner or a prisoner 3071. And during this time, she wasn't the only one arrested. 300 other Hawaiians, mostly Hawaiians, mostly Hawaiians, but they were non-Hawaiians, yeah. about 24 non-native Hawaiians out of who were the loyalists were also arrested. They also began to really brutalize the Japanese and Chinese communities as well. The Republic. The Republic. The Chinese community had always been kind of close with the royal family. Queen Kapiolani was patron of the Peking Opera Society, and she had tried to learn Japanese and Chinese. Uh, and uh, Queen Kapiolani had this um, relationship with the Empress of Japan. Warm friendship between, you know, our Queen Kapiolani and, and um, the Japanese Empress. And in fact, when the Queen was debating on whether or not she should yield her throne, she was told by a Japanese official outside of the consulate that if she needed to, she may consider other options. So around January 23, 1893, the Naniwa and the Togo, which were two of the most modern Japanese warships coming to Honolulu Harbor. At this time, the American flag is flying. He refuses to salute it. The admiral of the ships refused to salute it. And he bluntly tells them because his government only recognizes the Kingdom of Hawaii, which was entirely wrong and it was entirely true. Right. The Japanese government was still on the fence about the recognition here. They had recognized the provisional government as the de facto government of mm -hmm. Hawaii, but they hadn't recognized it beyond that. So the admiral of the Naniwa was also a perspective suitor for Princess Kailani and he was okay. also a prince of the imperial household the Fujiwara clan he actually tells the queen that if the queen needs protection she Japan. can go to the Naniwa and if she needs another option such as forming a government in exile she can form a government in exile in Tokyo the queen rejects it because she says that although she admires the generosity her place is among her people. If she abandons her people, they would be lost, more lost. So she stays here. Their house arrests until she's arrested. She's brought to the palace. She's tried for misprison of treason, which is not even, it's no law. What is that? Prison of treason. Knowledge, whether knowing or unknowing, an attempt to overthrow the legitimate government or the state. And that law goes back to 17th century England. There is no law like that in the Hawaiian Kingdom. They literally drafted it just for her. Again, Hawaiians, our faith in the legal system. <laughs> so yeah, they convict her, uh, five years of hard labor. The hard labor is not served out. The queen spends the next five months in prison. Uh, she's one of the last prisoners to be released. Uh, they began releasing a lot of the political prisoners because that's what they were. Where they did they hold them? At Oahu prison and the palace basement. For specific royal? Torture. Torture. Yes. They used the palace kitchen for waterboarding. Not so well-known fact. Uh, there's a room in the basement under the staircase 
it was a broom closet, but they called it the room under the stairs. So, Ho'oluhe, the private secretary to Queen Liliuokalani, was also arrested at the same time as the queen. He was stripped naked and forced into the room under the stairs, where he was not given water or food. These were the days before air conditioning for two days or so. And he still wouldn't talk because they tried to get a confession from him that the queen had intimate knowledge of the uprising and he refused. And um, yeah, Esther Kiaina, she's running for OHA. Um, yeah, that's actually her great-great-grandfather. Yeah, he refused to sacrifice his honor for personal comfort. <clears throat> so yeah, they were torturing people in the basement. And then they had the queen imprisoned. And um, you know, of course, that they also oiled up the windows so that way people couldn't glimpse their queen. So um, the queen is released and she goes back to Washington place. And eventually she um, makes trips to Washington DC to protest against annexation. She comes back and uh, the Spanish American war breaks out. And then the it's Congress signed the joint resolution to supposedly annex. Even though it was well known and documented that a majority of Native Hawaiians and non-Native Hawaiians were against annexation to the United States. And of course, we have the 1880, 1897 petitions, the Ku'e petitions, to prove that. The majority of people didn't want annexation to Hawaii. The Republic has the audacity to invite Princess Ka'iolani and other members of the royal family, including the Queen herself, to the annexation ceremonies here at Iolani Palace. They politely refuse. And instead, on the day of the formal transfer of sovereignty, as they called it, the queen and the members of the court are at Washington Place, and um, they're dressed in mourning attire. They have the windows shut, and they're in mourning for their country. Mahalo to Hawaii Council for the Humanities for sponsoring the production of this story. <laughs>